0: Welcome to the Mosh Zone, episode one hundred and fourteen, week one hundred and fourteen, volume one hundred and fourteen, number fucking one hundred and fourteen. Hey, going, guys? How's your week been? Thank you for tuning in. This week's guest is Ryan of Miss May I, and that will be coming up later in the show. Let's kick things off with single of the week, and this week it comes from Make Them Suffer. The new track is called Drown With Me, and it's the second single they've released from their upcoming album, How to Survive a Funeral, which sees its release on June 5th. Now, this track is another stacked banger from the band, and this song has made me even more excited about this album. And if you've heard this song, That filthy fucking breakdown. Oof, amazing. Outstanding track. This album is going to be fucking immense. So the album is How to Survive a Funeral. Comes out June 5th. The track we're talking about is Drown With Me. And the band is Make Them Suffer. Now, after you've heard that track or delved into that track, make sure you go back and listen to our chat with Sean, the vocalist from the band. He was all the way back on episode 22. Album of the week, without a doubt, goes to The Black Dahlia Murder, and their new album is titled Verminous. It is another melodic death metal masterpiece from the band. Fans, Old and new to the band will love this release. Everything you know about the band with some slight tweaks thrown in. Easily an album of the year contender. Make sure you go out and listen to that now. Also, if you're unaware, last week's guest on episode 113 was Trevor. So if you haven't heard that, make sure you go back and listen to that also. Time for feedback questions. What's been going on? Pretty quiet at the moment. We're seeing some shares going on. So thank you to everyone that is sharing the podcast. Now, I always say help us out with a rating and review and a share. And the reason I do is because we can only get this show out to so many people. So with your help, with reviews, with sharing, the more people it brings this show to, the better this show will get. So help us out, spread the word, share the show, give us a rating and review. All of your help is invaluable, and it means the world to the show. Enough of the ramblings. Let's get into the main part of the show. This week, I got to sit down with Ryan of Miss May I. First thing, I got to say thank you very, very, very much, dude, for taking time out for me and the Mosh Zone. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. Now, Miss May I are definitely one of the hardest working most consistent bands in the metalcore game the band formed around 2006 and ryan was in the band for a short period and then left for a short period but he's been in the band completely full-time since 2009 miss may i have released six albums so far and ryan has been a part of five of them i'm a big time fan of this band and the chat with ryan was great. Lots of bromance, lot of fun. I hope you enjoy this chat as much as I did. That chat with Ryan is coming up now. So I start off with everyone kind of the same question and it's around your first memory of music being in existence. So was there a band growing up that wasn't heavy, that was just an artist in itself that you first heard that you became obsessed with like mine for me at the age of five or six, I became obsessed with Aerosmith and then my discovery just went from there. Was there a band for you like that?
1: Uh, When I was really little, um, I'm from the, the central Ohio, which is pretty rural um, and country music's really popular out here. And, and that's pretty much all my um, mom listened to. Uh, when I was younger, so I remember like Garth Brooks when I was really, really young, being massive and being like a, a cross between stadium rock and and country. Um, and I'm talking like five years old here. Is that that's the and I sang like a song at the state fair once, I guess, or something. She has a video of it somewhere. Um, but I the first I, high school for me is probably when I remember really or middle school, I guess. The first few CDs I remember really being obsessed with and um, Lincoln park and disturbed were pretty huge when I was in middle school. Those were big ones for me. Um Rob Zombie. Um And then the metal stuff happened quite later. It actually had to do with playing in a band is how I came into metal. But the first few I can remember really listening to and really loving was like in middle school. I remember loving the second Lincoln park record and the second, Disturbed record a lot, and I only had those two CDs. So that's when you could upload the songs into your Xbox, Mm -hmm. and then you could play them during games. You could make your own soundtracks with CDs back then. I only had those two CDs for like two years.
0: What Um, made what made you get into those two CDs? Was it something you heard on the radio? I don't know how
1: I got them. Yeah, I don't know how I got them. If I had the CD, it had to have come from someone. But then the first time I started like actually getting into music and then searching it out would have been high school. And then it's kind of like your cliche movie kind of deal. I had a friend who was more into music than I was. He made me a CD of um, probably 15 different styles of rock. Mm-hmm. Um, just He was a rock guy. And then I gravitated towards the... Anything from like 97 and before, I guess, like the the end of the grunge era and the early part of the grunge era and the start of like the the industrial wave too. So I loved all of the grunge bands and I also loved Nine Inch Nails, White Zombie, um, Marilyn Manson. That was the stuff I was really into in high school. And then the only way I actually got into hearing about, you know, anything that I would have been considered um a part of like the screamo the metalcore metal any of that that all came from just joining my first band uh at the end of high school so
0: you know what was music like in the house was was music a big part of the house you know was it always played or was music i don't think so no it
1: was you know it was around i uh, obviously everybody listens to music but um no, it was definitely a. Um, I've always been a very secluded, um, independent kind of guy, mm. and uh, music was just a really great independent activity for me. When um, I always I, I say it's kind of funny. I don't actually know what I did before I started playing an instrument because I've never done any sports, and I'm not like a scholar by any means. You know, I was just pretty average in school, so. I wonder what I did with my time before I played an instrument because I can't, (laughs) I don't know. Like I don't know uh, what I did uh, up until then. So, I mean, in in school,
0: you know, is that when you started discovering playing an instrument and how did you come about playing, you know, bass? Was there something beforehand or was bass where you started with instruments?
1: Yeah, I was pretty late to the, instrument thing i think i was a sophomore in high school so i would have been um what's that 16 14 or 15 Mm -hmm. i graduated when i was 17 since i have a summer birthday but Mm -hmm. you know i'm I'm the same age as everybody it's just my birthday was like a couple days after school ended every year um so yeah i would have been like 15 probably um and I had two the two guys that I hung out with the most also liked the same music that I was into. And they talked about how we would play a song at the variety show, which for my character at the time was I, I can't even imagine myself doing that. I was so quiet and um shy. Uh but they already played the other two instruments. So bass was left, and then I started, and then as soon as I started, I just realized that i really liked it i started taking lessons immediately and then we never did the variety show or anything actually i never even i don't even know if i was ever in a room with them at the same time with instruments but that was the only that was the reason i started and then from there i just started taking lessons and i took lessons in person for um i think two years from the same guy um and that would have been 2000 and 2003 2004 something like that
0: And what was it, what was it like for you, you know, with your early bass journey, were you heavily influenced or inspired by someone or was it literally you were just learning and just being a sponge?
1: I was just a sponge. It was awesome. I, I actually here recently, I invested in a bunch of recording equipment and have been able to, uh get guitars from my sponsors and get new basses from my sponsors and play at home and it's it's the same feeling i remember that i had then like i i can sit here for 12 hours and not realize it went by i feel like when i picked up that instrument i was like that for probably i feel like i was like that for years like i just did not want to do anything else um 1 hour of lessons or 30 minutes i can't remember what it was um a week with that was task based. you know, I, I'm given a, um, I'm given a, a piece of music that I am supposed to conquer. And this this teacher was great because every week it added a different skill set. And since I kept it up um, through that whole process and, and was a sponge, I was letting him choose the songs. So not only was I playing, I would bring a song in probably every other week that I wanted to learn. So maybe I want to learn something from Jeff from The Used. Um, so I bring I bring a song in, and he he learns the song on the spot, which is really inspiring to watch when you're a brand new player. So he's he's just listening to this track, learning it by ear, and teaching it to me in probably thirty minutes to an hour. And then I'm you know so my mind's blown, and then I go home and I spend a week learning that, and then it's cool because you come back first thing the next lesson is let's see if you can play that thing I showed you. And then you just rip through that song because you've nailed it. And then he's, it feels so cool to have somebody that you look up to like that, um, that you watched play this song like it was nothing a week before. And now you can play it at the same pace and skill level as them. Uh, and then that week he would choose a different song. So he's like, you need to learn how to play triplets. Um, and to learn triplets, you should learn this particular Iron Maiden song. And I'm like, Iron Maiden? Sounds like something my dad listens to. And he's like, probably. And now all of a sudden, my ears are open to metal because this teacher is like, check out this skill that you'd never learn if you wouldn't have uh, listened to this particular band.
0: That's also really important for, for down down the track in years to come, that the fact that by chance you're um, – Abilities weren't limited to one style or, or one kind of um, bracket. You were being exposed to everything and learning everything. I mean, some kids, I don't think, do that. They go, I want to play, you know, metalcore, and then that's all they focus on. You were exposed to everything.
1: Yeah, and, you know, I feel guilty about that right now because Kiesel just sent me this guitar and I'm writing, I'm writing this record with the guys right now. So I'm writing it, I'm, you know, I'm playing only metalcore, but I have this guitar that I'm like, I should be spending all this, you know, I should be learning these Incubus songs and these Chili Pepper, but I'm like, I don't have time, I gotta write this record. <laughs> and, and I know, and I know from past experience that like the the best thing for me to do is to dive in and learn a bunch of different skills so I can bring them together. But that's hard, it's just, it's a time thing. It's that 10,000 10, hours thing to mm. be, proficient i mean you just gotta it's gonna take me forever to be good at this one i'm decent at bass now it's gonna take me forever to be good at guitar but it's funny like even though i was trying so hard to play all these different types of music when i joined my first band my first local band i hadn't listened to anything like what they were playing and i was playing using um i was like playing in a register that made no sense To them, you know, they're like, why the hell are you playing up here? All and I'm like, I listen to Tool all the time, man. Like, (laughs) I I listen to, you know, like that, and and they're like, no, you follow the kick drum and you're down tuned. And I'm like, down tuned? What the hell are we talking about here? (laughs) Um, so when I joined that first band, I'm immediately thrown into a whole bunch of different um types of music and new skills. And I'd never been in anything with screaming. So now all of a sudden even the vocalization is different. Um, and I did that throughout my career Later in my career when I did a little stint in another band I did the same thing. I'd never been in a uh, a death metal band and I dove into a death metal band for a minute and I couldn't play that to save my life the day that I came to the first practice by the time the first tour started, I felt like I was you know 10 times better than before I had um, met them and started playing that style of, of music and adding that skill set to the to the, uh, weaponry, I guess. Well, I mean, it shows that your,
0: your adaptability, which not everyone has, um, you know, it's something that you can tip your cap to.
1: Yeah. And, and, um, one thing that I think a lot of people have trouble with on the road is if you get a really crazy schedule and you get to where I did, where we did about four years, that was eight months on four months off. Um, yeah. And the four months is not together. It's like, cut up throughout the 12 months. So, 2 weeks here, 2 weeks there. You kind of get tired of, of the instrument mm. for a minute. You're like, "Worn out. You're like, the reason I'm tired, the reason my life is cool is because of this instrument, but the reason I'm exhausted is because of this instrument." So, sometimes when you come home, you're like, "I just want that 2 weeks to not touch this thing." And that's a that's a tough habit for me because I should be spending that time diving into having fun and learning songs from, you know, bands that are not anything like my band, but I'm like, man, I'm so burned out right now that I don't want to do that. So I've actually really, I don't enjoy not being on tour, but I have enjoyed um, the free time to kind of be a little more, ex- explore a little bit more territory and have time to just play without it, you know, only being um, whatever the band has going on right now. Yeah,
0: I mean it's quite it's quite important not to get burnt out. Um, yeah, you know you mentioned high school and the the first band you're in, but you know before getting into that that band and ins and outs of it, where were you with school and you know what you wanted to do? Because a lot of people when they're at high school, they're told you need to make your mind up, you need to know what you're going to do because life's coming and you need to have all your decisions made. Uh, what were you thinking in high school? Were you thinking music was your only option or were you looking at something else?
1: Uh, Well, the, my business brain was kind of taken over in high school and I was getting really excited about the, um, the concert aspect of it. Um, I had started booking all the shows in our area or, or all the shows that I played in our area and, and a few others that we didn't play and, working with other other band members and trading shows and developing and networking stuff and before the end of my senior year i was pretty sure like i would like to continue the band thing i just kind of knew that's where my interest was i did go to a uh, a college for um audio production but i only went for a semester because i just felt like it was such a it just wasn't where my heart was. I, I wanted to be in a band that was going to be signed and, and be touring. That's what I wanted to do. Um, and I actually uh, didn't even bother with any of the attempts, You know the, the testing you have to take to get ready for college. I just got my high school diploma and I was like, good enough. We're good to go. And I just kind of immediately focused on figuring out how to uh, make the band dream happens, i guess
0: and was the first the first was that still at the time that you were in your first band that you know you finished high school
1: yeah that was a five-piece metalcore band um tuned uh in the same you know all tuned in the same thing as miss may i if i remember correctly first time i like drop tuned anything and um so a few miss may i songs are in that tuning and um I guess if I was to, when I joined and I had to, and I asked them for like five examples that they wanted me to learn that would help me, it was like the first Earth record, the first Azalea Dying record, the first All That Remains, um, uh, Cover Your Tracks by Barry Your Dead, and, um, and Darkest Hour. So that's 2006. So it's 2006. I mean, it's like metalcore is really in its beginnings of of breaking out and starting uh, starting to get on Ozfest and starting to get on Warp Tour. Isolate Dying would be on Warp Tour within like two years of that, and Prada would be on. And Prada was from my hometown, and that's what I was looking at. So in Dayton, you have a Devilwears Prada, who is I'm actually older than a few of them, which is funny. But they were they were I think they're 15, 14, 15 when they were like popping off locally. I mean, they were really young. And so I'm looking at them at the same age as them by the time we're 18 and they're already signed and touring. And so I have like a real life living example that came from my town that I just watched do exactly what I feel like doing. They were like one of my favorite bands at the time. Um, and so my first local band, it was it was fine. I recorded eight songs was with Joey Sturgis. That's the first time I met him. This would have been the summer of 2006, right out of high school, like literally a couple days after high school. That band lasted for a minute. Um, I I joined another band. Uh, would have been my second band. Same thing. Networking, doing shows. This band had more of like a a harmonic minor feel to it a lot more black Dahlia murder inspired inspired um no singing a lot of um a lot of tremolo picking so it was a much more complicated band and that actually is how i met miss may i because we started playing shows in dayton and then i met them and i liked their band more than mine to be honest and i was just like (laughs) man how cool would that be if i could somehow end up in their band i'm older than them by about two years maybe three years. Um, so, you know, they were really young. I was only 19, so they, but they were all like 16, 17.
0: In those first two um, outfits that you were in, you know, you mentioned about networking and learning. Was that literally what you were looking at at these bands? Because did you notice or know when you were in them that they didn't really have the ability to get signed or did you think they had the ability to get signed?
1: Yeah, yeah. I always... I always had a very cutthroat mentality towards if we were, if what I was doing was working or it wasn't. That's um, so why I've been in very few projects so far. I used to, the first two bands, I would try to replace people, you know, um, which is a really common thing when you're in a local act because you're trying to find the right partners. You're trying to balance the, the schedule of being at home uh, and whatever, each person has going on in their regular life because your band's not paying for your life so every time you want your band to do something you're asking a lot of everybody in a band and uh that was really hard for the first two bands and it was really hard in miss may i too because they were still in high school but i i could see um i knew that levi was great with graphic design which was huge this is 2007 when i or two Late Christmas 2007, when I started talking to him, I was in the band by, oh, no, I was already playing with him by then. So I think I was in the band by summer 2007. Levi was already phenomenal at graphic design, was doing all of their graphics on his own. And then I was working full time so that, um, and I kept this particular job because it sent me home at the right time. I could sit on our MySpace and I could just out. I could out-promote people is all it was. I just made sure I had enough time every day to sit there and outwork people and out-network people to where we went from a band that had played a 30-mile radius outside of where we lived to we were drawing like 400 people all the way up in Michigan, Kentucky, Indiana by the time... Um, My first stint in the band was over. It was, and it was all just the band was good. The music is always number one, but we, everybody in a local band has seen it. There's, there's always a local band that is awesome and is, and sometimes is even better than all the other local bands, but they just don't have the ability to put it together on the promotion end to get the organization and get their name out there and they just stay stuck. And, I could, I could name like five of those from Dayton from back in the day too. I think we just had like the right combination with the music at the right time to take advantage of. It also was a really great scene back then. You know, local shows were drawing 125 people, 200 people sometimes. That's not as easy to do now.
0: Where do you learn that ethic though? Because, I mean, that's something that not a lot of people in their early, you know, startup bands would have that ethic to – make sure they put in all those hours to network and promote and grind because that's also part of it that you're saying about some of the bands that you know were amazing but never got going is probably because they didn't know or want that ethic of putting in the hard work
1: I think uh, I just got lucky and found something I identified with really early like I said I was never athletic um I was never I had a I had a girlfriend I've always been like a long-term relationship kind of guy, so that that part of my life was relatively steady. It wasn't like hectic and crazy to where I was like bouncing around and worried about what was going on. I just kind of, I just had the mental space available to dedicate to it, and I also found out that it's what I wanted to do. So, and then it sucks cuz like I, I, I say that about a girlfriend but i remember the <laughs> the girl that i was dating uh actually every girl i've dated has fallen by the wayside after a while because that dedication has always been difficult for me in the long run because my focus has stayed on the band so much and it's actually been uh it 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 does have its detriments too. Like it has its benefits because it's put us in great positions, but I've definitely put myself in bad positions by being like, I can't focus on this thing in my personal life right now because this needs, uh, this needs focus. And, uh, so I don't know. It's like a catch 22. It's definitely not the easiest. You can't clock in and clock out, I guess is what it is really. You're pretty much, if you want to, if you want it to work, you got to keep, You got to keep going
0: all the time. Well, that's part of, I mean, you kind of touch on something there that also that I think sometimes people forget that if you really want to make it, there is sometimes unfortunately going to be things in your personal life that get sacrificed. Um, It's, it's also the same for the sacrifices that you have to make with your life when you're touring all the time, you know, you're going to miss events, you're going to miss things. Um, And that's something that not everyone's made for either.
1: Yeah. And I, I, and I am the opposite. I am I am the guy in our band that when we decided to finally take a break after like 10 years straight of going, 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 everybody was like, at the end of this record cycle, let's just take a minute. Just let's calm down. Let's let's feel what it's like to be at home. And and I and as soon as we all came to that agreement, I immediately was like on the phone, call Pablo. I'm like, Hey, dude! I know we always joked about me being on tour with you at some point, but whenever Chelsea Green needs somebody, I'd love to be on tour with you. And so I did the opposite. I immediately was like, "How do I find more time on the road? If I can't go out there and play, how do I get out there and get in that, get back in that um, environment that I'm familiar with and I love so much?" You're just a fiend. You just love it. I am. I am. I, I just identify with the people. You know, it's like. I'm always around people that I can relate to when I'm on, when I'm on the road, it's nice. So I I just love, and I love the travel and I love the activity. I'm sure at some point that will change, but, um, my weird ass is like 12, 13 years in and I'm still like excited about it. I get all, I'm good at, I'm I'm good at be, I'm good at living out of a bag.
0: (laughs) I love it. Um, (laughs) so, you know, you, you touched in there about, you know, when you joined Miss May I, so what was it like um, for you? You said they were kind of already going and you were in that other band and you noticed them, and then did they have a position vacant or did you kind of hassle them for you to join? How did the initial link up?
1: Yeah, I hassled, but it was pretty cool because the gentleman who I whose um, spot that I took was a best friend of theirs from high school who was the same age as B.J., and he was going into the military when they when they graduated, so he was prepping to go do that. So he was going to step aside either way. So um, so when Joe decided to to split uh, or however it went, I had been calling Levi on the house phone because cell phones were not like a regular thing yet. <laughs> I was calling his. Uh, yeah, I think he had a cell phone, but he had to call my dad's house, so he would call <laughs> my dad's house. Talk to me, um, and I think my the way I got in was I showed them this demo from my very first local band that, or I showed them a song that Joey had recorded where I sang in it, and it was literally three syllables. Um, <laughs> but it was enough that Levi was like, "All right, so like you're ready to work hard, and you got real equipment, and you can travel to us, and you also maybe can sing." And pretty good at bass. So like it was kind of a it all came together. I got along with everybody and then I joined. And then the first show we played when I joined was in um, someone's basement on homecoming or someone's driveway on homecoming night. It was for about s- maybe seven people. <laughs> Second one was at a um like a lodge, like um I don't even know how else to explain it. Um and it was for about 30 people, I fell down on the opening string strike. I stepped on the monitor and it just flipped over and so says, fell on the ground. Um, the early days were like that. They were like tiny shows, and then we were booking our own shows. And um, I think the momentum started when we recorded together for the first time. And we recorded a three song demo together that we, it was the first thing that we wrote as the five piece that we are now. It was the song Tides, which we wrote because I was listening to so much August Burns read at the time. Um, We wrote No Need to Whip a Dead Horse, which was transferred into Porcelain Wings on the first record. And then we wrote, there was was another one on there. I can't remember what it was called. But those three songs, when we put those on MySpace, that's when the momentum really started for us. That would have been 2007 um, up until the end of that tenure was June of 2008.
0: And then, you know, you're saying that momentum's going and then why do you decide to jump out of the band and join a, you know, saying it's death metal is probably not the right phrase, but then saying it's death is not the right phrase no. either. You joined Rose. No, it, is,
1: it is a tough pill to swallow for sure. Um, It is a very aggressive band and very not my thing. Um, like in, uh, uh, at that time that wasn't, ah, yeah, it was at that time I was listening to so much stuff like Through the Eyes of the Dead, um, uh, Job for a Cowboy, Cattle Decapitation. I really was into that type of music. I didn't play it very much, but I really enjoyed, um, those types of bands, um, Basically, they were already on Metal Blade, and a few of the guys at Miss May I were saying they were going to go to college when they graduated, um, and they were about to graduate. And that left me in a weird position, because like I said, I'm watching Devil Wears Prada the same age as me or a year younger on year two of touring, and I feel that m- me at 20 years old is too old to get signed now if I don't get it done, because um, I'm already three years in here of nonstop trying. So they asked me if I wanted to go on tour with them. And um, they already had a record done. And like I said, they were on Metal Blade. At the time, I listened to like nothing but Black Dahlia Murder. So obviously, I want to be on the same label. Um, and it was a really big, it was a risky move because I left Miss May I, who I was, they had all become my best friends. I knew them all very well. And I knew one person in that van when I joined the next band and I, I knew him as an acquaintance. I, you know, Mm. I didn't know him at all. And I just left and started touring with him and it lasted about, lasted about nine months. And then I I left that too. That didn't work. That didn't work for me. So I decided to quit that after about nine months.
0: I mean, that would have been a very weird situation. Um, You know, Miss May I are saying, Look, we're gonna go focus on this stuff. Um, you're like, Okay, you know, as you said, cutthroat, determined, um, very goal driven. So you're like, All right, this opportunity's come, I'm gonna go for that. Then you jump to that and then do you yeah. notice do you notice that it's not really working out? And also, what's going through your head when suddenly the boys back with Miss May I release a debut album while you're in Rose
1: funeral? That was the hardest part. So the situation was I joined and I didn't know anything was going on. I didn't know when I started touring with them, it was a, it was a gradual progression. It was like a manager came on board the second tour, a new booking agent came on board the third tour, but I just did not. I did not agree with a lot of their decisions on the business end. And I was like, we're trying to grow this into a touring business um and it doesn't it doesn't matter if we sink the ship before, you know, like we're gonna sink the ship. I could just tell there's the uh, the amount of people that were rotating through the lineup. I mean, three singers in the nine months that I was there, um, two drummers or three drummers. I hated the last drummer, couldn't stand him. Um uh, yeah, it just to me was just really by the when you get signed, that's the kind of shit that you can't have. Because you got, you got a label's money on the line. You got a manager sticking their neck out for you, an agent. Like You need consistency. And you need consistency for yourself on the road, too, just for your sanity. And for me, it was just too much. It was just too stressful. Uh, I appreciated the opportunity, but it just wasn't working for me. So I finished up a tour, and I just left out of, in about December. So I left in March. In December, I did a guest vocal spot for them, and they were popping. Like I'm, I watched them play for like 400 people in Columbus, Um, and then they sold out the Newport at like 1,500 people a few months later, and it was tough to watch because they signed to Rise, favorite label, signed to Shapiro, the booking agent that was like you know the name at the top of my goals list, signed with Artery Foundation with Chris from the Devil Wears Prada co-managing my favorite band, and I'm on the outside leaving this band that I joined that I thought was a better opportunity, and I kind of shot myself in the foot. Um, And they sent me the record, and the record's so fucking good. It's like everything that I always hoped that the band would turn into. It was like they discovered the riffing style. They had discovered a few different types of bands that we weren't really riffing-like before that I loved. Like, I was a huge Darkest Hour fan, but I don't think anybody else had really gravitated towards riffing like them and that three song demo. And then all of a sudden they send me these songs and I'm like, I hear influence from as dying. I hear darkest hour. I hear kill switch engage. And I was just like, and I am, a, am not a part of it. This is, this is a huge bummer. Um, but I was, you know, I just kind of, I stayed friends with them. I remember Skyping BJ or whatever video format we were using in 2009. Um, and, uh, you know, seeing him at the studio, they were doing the record with Sturgis. So, you know, I'm also just losing my mind about that. I'm like, he's recorded all my favorite records. Uh, it was rough. And then, I mean, the way I got the job back was just as sudden as the, as the day I quit. So it, it was just, it's a big fate thing, I guess. So how did you get it back? They recorded the record, and the, and the, the guy who recorded the record um, I, it's unbelievable how we sound. We have the exact same. I I'm I. It's it's interesting the way it worked out is, I had only sang like one song for Miss May I, and then they do this record and they got this new guy and he sang on like most of Apologies Are for the Week has like a a few simple melodies in every song. There's only a few that have like a really difficult singing part, um, but. I guess when he started touring he just wasn't feeling it or, or, or whatever. I had I I wasn't any part of this before he separated. They actually wouldn't even didn't even contact me until they knew this was confirmed. Um, just I get good business ethics on their end, I guess. They they basically he left home after a few shows. He just wasn't enjoying it. Decided he wasn't going to continue on. Their records going to drop like two and a half weeks later, they're already having a member change um not a good look and they just called me and asked if I was available um and I was like uh, yeah I'm available and fortunately for me I had sold them all of my equipment so they could start touring so I just went back to the, you know they already had my equipment um and I flew to Texas on my 21st birthday and I immediately started tour I learned the entire record and all the singing parts um, in my mom's – in my bedroom at my mom's house. And it was like, you know, I just flew out there and just went for it.
0: That's got to feel like crazy
1: timing that, you know, the – Unbelievable, man. Yeah. I, couldn't, I couldn't do that again with, with a million tries.
0: No, not just that, but, you know, as you said, you know, you're watching them um, – doing everything with the record and, you know, the gigs that they're playing. And you're probably sitting there as anyone would. You're going, fucking hell, why did I make that stupid fucking oh. decision?
1: Kicking myself in the ass.
0: Yeah. And then they say, hey, uh, Ryan, um, you know, do you want to come back? I'd be like, yep, uh, yeah, I'm already there. Like, I'm fucking there, man. Like, I'm done.
1: yeah the split was it wasn't amicable for sure when I left you know they didn't want me to leave. they were definitely hurt and um but I we were young enough that thank God we were that young because I think that was a big part in me being able to be forgiven by all of them for putting them in that position and be and my and hopefully it was like my dedication while I was in the band that was the reason I got the call before, another person you know um they could have called anybody at that point and they and they chose to call me
0: well it probably also helps that you're not ugly to look at and they're probably like
1: yeah you know he's good looking. <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> i guess so yeah we I can... guess so i i think as the hairline gets uh, worse and worse that is a debatable fact
0: <laughs> <laughs> maybe they like the receding hairline <laughs> never know um so you get back in and, you know, things are really ramping up at this stage. You know, on label. label, um, you're playing a part of the new album or the first debut major label album. And then you guys get into what I'd say is a massive moment for the band because you recently did a 10-year anniversary of it, uh, Monument. And yeah. you go into – now you're kind of back in the band solidified in the unit again what was it like for you and the band getting that album done was there any pressure and expectation because it's the sophomore release and all of that
1: yeah you know what's great for us that um is really fortunate is i don't know if anyone in the industry thought that we were going to have the good fortune that we did on the first record I, I just remember the sales surpassing a few bands that we shouldn't have been keeping up with. Um, and you know all, and as we as we're doing tours, our name is getting higher and higher on the bill. And um, all of that was unexpected because we were, I feel like we were um, overachieving. Mm-hmm. So when we went into the second record, I think the same thing happened. I think everybody was like, oh, cool. They really had a good first record. Um, so when we went in, I don't remember it being too crazy. Like if you don't deliver, you guys are, you know, you guys are gonna be in trouble. I don't think we were in that situation until the fourth one. I, I remember it being pretty it was just it was just a great moment for all of us because we were back together at Joey's. We, uh, he had moved to a, to his um, he had like a three bedroom ranch style house when we did that record so we all lived there to all live there together. We'd already been touring. I mean, it was cool. It was just a great time. And then the record, I don't know, it's so crazy to look back at it because the record dropped and it just it just kept going, which we did not expect. It just kept going and kept going and that whole record cycle was pretty was pretty nuts.
0: Yeah, I think that album really put you. You know, I think as you said with the sales of Apologies uh, for the Week, I think that kind of created buzz. But I think Monument really put the stamp down that um, you guys weren't a flash in the pan kind of thing.
1: It and it opened up. It, it, I look at it as it's it's when we, it's when we were able to do Warp Tour. It's when mm. we were fine. When we were recognized as like we're going to put you up on the big boy stage. We're going to put you on the crossover stage where not only are you playing for only the people who like you and asking Alexandria and impending doom and Prada, like the bands you've been touring with, but you're playing in front of the people who are here to see the used and people who are here to see, um, you know, newfound glory, like just a, a whole new ball game. Uh, it was, and I, I was a warp tour, kid I, I went to Warped Tour so it was just the, that that record cycle things kept happening that I was just like this was on the list and I can't believe it's happening this was on the list and I can't believe it's happening
0: it was also an interesting time you know for you know it's not an insult to say you guys are metalcore you know it kind of it's the style bracket
1: oh no we we will we will claim that till the end
0: but it was that style at the time was you know, booming.
1: Yeah, we, we got to ride that wave, which was really cool. Um, it, I didn't realize that until here recently when now when we do tours, if we tour with somebody that is maybe six years younger than us, they were in high school during that wave when we were touring in it. And they're like,
2: we were, you know, seeing you guys
1: when you were touring with this. And, and it's so crazy because when it's happening, you don't notice it as a wave. But I think about it and I'm like, I do remember watching Acacia Strain play in downtown Detroit for like 10,000 people one time. You know, like it's a, that's the kind of stuff that was happening in that era, thanks to Metalcore popping off on Warped Tour.
0: But then, you know, without jumping too far forward, you're still a band that are in that, that style. And now that style is people turn their nose down to it. I mean, what what's it like now being a band that is deemed a metalcore? Are you still happy to have that tag? Or are you a band that is kind of doing everything you can to show people that this style is still worth listening to?
1: Yeah, for, for us it's been fine. Uh, my The weird thing for us is the, the move in the middle. Um, we did three metalcore records in a row that were relatively definitive for those that three-year period or five-year period you know in the top 20 bands of the time i guess that were metalcore there are a lot of metalcore bands but we got lucky and for those few years had like a few of the most successful um, releases and then the fourth one because of that, because of the momentum we got to ride, it put us in a position where we were like on the fourth one, we're just going to do something totally different because we feel like it because the wave was already going away for metal core. It was like when we did warp tour in 15, I think that was like one of the last big um, metal core dominant years of, of warped, I would say. Um, and so we did a record and we did like five finger death punch tours. And uh, we did, we did a record with Terry date and we did kill switch tours and uh, mayhem festival. And, you know, we went to the other side, we did some arena stuff and some active rock stuff. We wrote, we wrote a record that a lot of fans that wanted the straight up metal core stuff, turned their nose to. And then all of a sudden a bunch of people that listened to slipknot, who wouldn't listen to us because, like you said, we are metalcore. All of a sudden, they see us on tour with Guar or Five Finger Death Punch or on Mayhem Festival with Avenged in Corn playing immediately before Suicide Silence and like after Mushroom Head. And all of a sudden, we've got Machine Head fans, um, Slipknot fans, um, dudes from camp, dudes who are watching Cannibal Corpse, dudes who are watching Trivium. And that's the thing that has kept us alive in the, in the interim because now every record cycle we are able to play the, the big festivals in front of those crowds, because thanks to the record cycle we did, that was more, um, I guess like active rock based. We made a lot of great fans over there. And then since we're, we're always just a metalcore band, we've always got a great following of metalcore fans everywhere we go too So like you throw us on a tour with, fit for a King or August Burns red or North lane. We have a great tour, but we can also survive if we get stuck on a tour with, um, you know, all that remains or in flames or, um, I would love to go on tour. with Kojira. That mm. would be a good one. Mm. You know, So I'm, that's, that's been my goal in the late, in the later years. It has been like, how do we, how do we play with all of the types of metal that I, that, that, i like and that the rest of the guys individually like you know like how do we end up on a show with death angel how do we end up on a show with Gwar? how do we end up on a show with gojira these bands that you wouldn't put us with but it would be cool to have the opportunity to to play with and slowly you know we've been fortunate to check a bunch of them off the list
0: now that album that you're talking about you know the fourth one anyone listening who's playing along at home is rise of the lion um yeah now that was as you said it was a big moment um and kind of felt like a big turning point for you guys because it was what you called a fan album um in many ways so going into that album and doing that idea um, and kind of context of it were you literally being supported or was this literally a big roll of the dice risk. Was it make oh, or break? it was a
1: huge roll of the dice. And I don't think it worked as well as we would have liked. But mm. um <laughs> the analogy that I always make is every record cycle to me feels like a sports season. Ooh nice. Yeah. And sometimes sometimes you have a winning season and sometimes you have a losing season. Either way you're proud of your participation and how hard you tried sometimes they just don't land the way you wanted them to. Um, and that one, what was weird about it was, as we got exactly what we wanted in terms of the recording and what we got back, um, we got exactly what we or exactly what we asked for. We wanted an organic, raw record that if you stood in front of the stage and it was just loud-ass amps and, and the kit mic'd up and one mic for Levi and one mic for me, that's what it's going to sound like. So that's what we made. Um, the lyric end of it. And that recording process was a blast too, because we did it with Terry date who Mm -hmm. did a bunch of my favorite records. Pantera. I record. Yeah. My favorite white zombie record. I mean, and, and you know, I'm asking him questions about these recordings every day. I text him every time I'm in Seattle still. Um, I'm recording out of like two real eight by tens with like two 300 watt all tube heads in a live room. It's like a sign that says like "Don't walk in here." Right? It's like it was so cool. Um, but the lyric part, I actually had forgot that that's how we did that. That was difficult for me. That was really difficult for me, actually. But we had committed to that idea, and we were going to see it through. Um, and we did. I think that's why the lyrics are so much more generalized in that one because I don't think I could. I don't think I could identify with a lot of the subject matter like I like I can when I'm writing about things on my own. I'm trying to recall if it was more Levi or more me or, but I can't even. I can't even remember. Um, but yeah, it was. It was crazy. the The album artwork was really cool. I the one thing that I the reason I say it was weird is. It's the first record where when we released it, it pissed people off.
0: What? Really?
1: Yeah. Like we had, a, you know, Apologies. Everybody was like, awesome. Monument, people were like, you know, it doesn't sound just like Apologies, but it's pretty damn good. And then at heart, they're like, you know, this is a crazy record. It's a lot different, but it's it's got Hey Mister on it. It's still a banger. And then we re- released Rise of the Lion and it was a different approach to the band completely and so anybody that wanted it to be the band from the first three records you know sounded totally different and looking at it now i'm like totally hear you totally see why you felt that way um and it looked like a direct attempt by us to abandon all of the metalcore people and go you know do this radio radio world thing um and those songs, they, they worked. I mean, they, the people that we, the, song, the kind of songs that we wrote, the kind of people that would enjoy those songs discovered the band. Um, and then when we did the next record, we were like, okay, look, we're still making metalcore. And then I, I think Deathless is arguably the heaviest one that we've done um, in a lot of ways. It just was the shortest cycle. So I don't think as many people know, know about that one.
0: Yeah, you know, before we get into Deathless, you know, going back to Rise of the Lion, you know, you mentioned the lyrics. And from what I remember, and I was looking in the inlay, um, for anyone that's not sure of that story, is that a lot of the lyrics are taken from letters that you guys were sent or received. Yeah, yeah. Like, where did that idea that's come a dip- from? That
1: was a difficult process to, to read stuff like that.
2: Yeah. Hmm.
0: Um, it was yeah, a I th- weird concept. I
1: think that was a very difficult thing for us to do. I don't I think that was a Levi idea and it was a cool creative fun way to do it, but damn, it was hard. It was like a real mental it, that's a mental exercise to write like that.
0: Um, and you guys also did the, you know, this is when I feel that I th- already the lines symbol was kind of a thing for the band. It was already Evelyn, but I think you guys really drove that home with the whole tattoo idea. And what was, what was that? Yeah,
1: and, and now both the tattoo artist and the gentleman who got the tattoo are both friends of ours. So it's like a, hmm. a cool thing. That's like still paying itself still paying off you know that you made like two cool friends in the process that was a levi idea too and parker was a fan of the band and he's you know he <laughs> the weirdest thing is we to have people submit pictures of their backs because you know we knew we were making a record cover so levi and i at one point i remember we're sitting there on a macbook looking through a zip file of um photos of like 20 different fans backs <laughs> 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 Trying to decide what to do. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that was cool too. I actually didn't get to go see that Levi did that cause he lived in LA at the time, but um, yeah, that was cool too. That was a really, that was cool. Cause the, the whole process was interactive with the fans a little bit more, but it did make it a lot more difficult to write. So you don't hear a lot of those ones getting played. That is not that is not a record you'll hear very often.
0: Really, not even um, echoes or or gone.
1: No, definitely not echoes. I just don't. That's one of the ones that I, I think that's probably my least favorite thing single we've ever released. Really? Why is that? Yeah, I don't know. I just don't. It. it I listen to it now, and I'm like, it's a, it's okay. It just is not my particular favorite which is weird because the songs that i write are in that tempo um i don't know something uh, maybe i have an underlying issue with that song that i don't know yet i don't know it's a weird one you know what i think it is is i think the subject matter was so heavy for me and Mm -hmm. i don't think that i could like when i would talk to fans and hear stories and the stories that they would relate to to for that song were really difficult for me to 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 handle a lot of the time and that song to me was just a very uncomfortable um yeah it's just a weird song for me hard song for me to to do we played it and i i did love playing it cuz it was fun to play it was a for as soft of a song as it is it was a relatively complicated song to play live. We played that on Mayhem Fest, which I think about that now. That's crazy. We're playing that on like Oz Fest, basically. Yeah.
0: I mean, what what was it like for you? You know, you're someone that not only is playing the music with your instrument, but you're also having to put your, you know, you got to put emotion into what you're singing. So what's it like for you normally with an album that you're, you know, a big piece of you is in the lyrics or in the music and then the lyrics uh, on an album geared around someone's letter, are you finding that it was hard for you to really get into it?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think it was much harder for me to relate. And I think you can hear that in my performance. I think, there's a, I think that's what I – anybody who – any artist who makes something will look back at what they've made and critique it, and I think I lack I think I lack audible emotion on that record. That's my biggest flaw with my performance is that I lack audible emotion. And I think it's because I had trouble attaching myself to some of the songs. Hmm.
0: Now, you know, you spoke about Deathless before and um, everything that happened with Rise of the Lion. uh, You guys to say sounded pissed off. Um, on Deathless would be an understatement. Um, was yeah. that was that a lot based about the reaction and how Rise of the Lion went?
1: I think so. I think behind the scenes, shit was hitting the fan on that record cycle. Like the the band went into an extreme amount of debt at that time. Um, over uh, some complicated shit that's been solved since then, but things really were not looking good. On the other end, you know, from the outside, if you're just looking at the band, look how many people they're playing for, look how many records they're selling, look how much merch is selling. That was all fine. We were uh, we were in over our heads a little bit on the financial end on that record. We just did not do a great job, um, and we screwed some stuff up. And that will bleed over into your personal life when you when the when you're all of your life is paid for by the band and you're spending nine to 10 months a year on the road with the band and then you come home and you don't have you're not seeing the results then you start blaming the record then you're like it's got to be the record's fault it's got to be it could it can't be like just an error we've made because we're young businessmen and we're like learning as we go it has to be the music um, or it has to be this guy, it has to be this. And we, yeah, I know exactly what it was now, and there's no need to throw, throw everybody that was the reason under the bus, but um, that was the fuel going into the studio. We were just like, how do we work this hard to always come up so short on the other end of it, on the, on the personal end of it? Um, and then we went into the studio, and Joey... Sturgis decided to do another record with us um and we did the record there um we did all the we wrote the whole record with Joey over about a 21 day period where we single tracked all the vocal layers single track the guitars and programmed the drums in record was about 90 percent of the way there at that point and then we spent about a month to a month and a half with Nick Sampson and actually recorded the record did all the real takes um and uh, yeah, that record is probably the most angry of all the records, I would say. There's really not there's not very much sunshine or happiness in that record at all, which I know was uh, a lot of people talked about when we released it because Levi's such a tra- traditionally positive guy, but that record just nobody was really in a great headspace. Every, everybody was starting to get burnt out from touring. People wanted to go home but nobody nobody knew how to do anything yet outside of the band nobody had really figured that out it was the first time any everybody's getting into their mid 20s at that point so you're you know you're asking more questions about what else you want to do in life and that sort of thing it's one of those things that those positions you get to when you're closing in on that like 10 years of touring 10 plus years as a band kind of thing
0: yeah and i think uh, but it probably also would have been a bit cathartic because You're not to say there's anything wrong with the the sunshine element of stuff, but sometimes you need for your sanity to get all that negativity out. You need to try your best to clear the air amongst yourselves because if all this shit is going on for you personally or behind the scenes, um, if you tried to do a sunshine kind of stuff again on an album, it probably would have sound forced.
1: Yeah, I agree. And it was a little bit more of the same thing. It was, uh, you know, the success was coming back um, on the review end from the original fans. They were excited again. They were like, oh, you guys didn't just jump ship. That was what I think offended everybody was that they were worried that we were immediately going to just never write a breakdown again, never write metalcore again. And then we came back with that record and we were like, no, I mean, this is obviously our favorite thing. So we're always going to come back to this. Um, and the record cycle just got cut kind of short. Um, we ended up switching labels in that at the in that record cycle relatively early on because we knew we were going to move to Sharp Tone. We switched management companies. We switched booking agencies. I mean, it, it all kind of came. It all kind of fell apart at the end of Deathless, but also came together for the start of a whole new chapter i guess with the whole shadows inside
0: thing that's got to be quite a quite an you know difficult and you know probably exciting time at the same that you're while you're in an album cycle you're changing management you're changing label um was a lot of that forced upon you guys or was that through choice
1: label was choice loved everybody at that label but we I think we had done six albums together already Mm. or five albums together already. Um, And we wanted, we just wanted a shot to do it somewhere else just to see if we could do any better or if we would do worse or, you know, we'd never done it anywhere else. So we just wanted to give it a shot. Management was a, was a, a rough separation. It always is because you get super close. I mean, you're working with each other hand in hand, like every day. And we were with them for over five years. They started while we were in the studio for at heart and worked all the way with us through death List. So that was really difficult. That part for me is always really hard because since I'm a, on doing a lot of the um, behind the scenes kind of stuff, i love becoming friends with all of the industry side of stuff. And so it's always weird when you, you change business partners for me, that's always a, a difficult thing. Um, I went through a breakup going into the 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 recording. I had been with the same person from June or May of two thousand and nine until June of two thousand sixteen. When we were recording the record. So that happened literally right before I left the record. I moved out of the house and then I went straight to the studio. So I mean, my whole vibe going into the record was somber, just Uh, exploring what the hell I was doing because I had never been on my own in my entire adulthood really Um, now we're in the record I actually didn't even bother getting a new place to live I just went to the studio and I was just like when the recording ends I'll figure it out Um, and I recorded part of the record in Michigan which was awesome it was with all four of the instrumentalists so We were sitting there with Nick and we wrote the whole record instrumentally. And then I got to fly to LA and live with Levi um, for like two months and do all the vocals with uh, Drew in LA. Um, So I got like, I got to stall. I got to put my life on pause for like four months to do the record. Um, And then the record cycle officially began like the following April, I think. And it was a crazy one too. Definitely the worst luck of any record cycle, but at the same time, like some of the biggest stuff that we ever did.
0: Yeah, that's that's uh, that's a crazy way of things happening. I mean, in a way, you it, it's quite weird because if someone heard that such a big monumental part of their life um, goes through a change like that, that as anyone would, they need to take time to process it. But for you, um, you're um, in the process of, doing an album you're not really for four months basically that's being ignored i mean is that something that took a toll on you like were you able to oh, it was
1: horrible for me yeah the worst idea yeah it's horrible for me it was horrible for my long-term mental health it was especially when i uh got into all the things I get into when I start touring, getting into drinking, getting into the uh, drugs, getting into—and I, I don't mean I shouldn't say drugs—I just smoke a bunch of weed. Yeah, I was but gonna say weed. Yeah. Getting into getting into drinking, especially, was a real tough one for me. That record cycle, just not taking care of myself, not because I didn't process anything—I didn't even bother to take care of it. I just wrote a record about it, and I was like, "Yeah, I wrote." I wrote my, you know, and Levi was great about letting me work my shit in, you know, because he might not have the same thing going, obviously, he doesn't have the same thing going on as I do. So it's always a balancing act for the two of us to work these subject matters in. Um, And I got a lot more stuff in on that record than than I ever did on the other ones, because I actually had, I felt like I had something to say, opposed to... Everything for me was kind of stationary before. Was, you know, like I said, i I had the I didn't have to worry about that portion of my life for so long, and then all of a sudden it just disappeared. And I also didn't have a home anymore. It wasn't like a house. Like obviously, I would just go figure out where I'm gonna live afterwards. But like I actually didn't have a home anymore. I was like, I don't know where I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go somewhere with a bed after the recording, but I like, where is that? What city will that be? do I know it? Will, will I know someone in that city or will, or will I move in with a family? like, what am I going to do? Um, to have no idea.
0: Did you, do you, do you think that at the time you thought everything was fine and you're working through it and then it took a while before you went, actually all of my, um, you know, behaviors with alcohol and stuff is actually because I'm not dealing with it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Probably until last year, honestly. I mean, mm. The record cycle was just—it was a dog pile of problems too. It was like, if I, I'm dealing with that, and that's one thing. I'm dealing with that, and that's that's a personal deal, and I'll work through that slowly. I feel like that's probably always difficult for people. I don't know. I've only done it one time, but it's probably—I assume it's that difficult for everybody. Seems mm-hmm. like it would be. Um, And then what's crazy is at the same time, we got new management. So it's like a new partner for the first time in five years. You're trying to get to know them as you're also releasing a record together for the first time. Same thing with the booking agent. So he's like trying to position you on tours, and you're trying to make sure that you guys understand, like he understands where you're trying to go. Um, And then uh, I remember the first. We were in Europe. Uh, The the first headliner, the transmission blew twice. Cost us like 10 10 grand on that tour. The um, trailer was stolen in Europe. Um, We lost like 50 50 grand, all of our equipment immediately, like in a moment in Italy. Um, On the third day of tour or something with 20 or 15 days to go, I think. Uh, hadn't even reached the point where we broke even. So we had to keep playing shows just to get to the point where we could afford to go home. Um, We did the whole tour anyway. We never, we just never cancel anyway, but um, you know, borrowing equipment every day, um, like moments before we play kind of thing. That was brutal. That was horrible. I thought, I thought we were going to lose members for the first time after that one. I thought a few people were just going to be like, I can't do that. This anymore. This is crazy. Um, and then it kind of picked up like the, the back half of the cycle. It seems like whenever a karma we had to bad karma, we had developed. Uh, it seems like we kind of got lucky at the end of the cycle and it kind of worked its way off. We finished it up with that. Uh, we did like download festival again, which was awesome. And did a, our first successful European headliner in a long time. And we did the monument tour and, um, so everything was more smooth at the end, but it was like a real roller coaster through the through the whole record cycle. This is the stuff that nobody ever talks about, though. Nobody ever asks this stuff. Like it, the, the you don't have time to talk about this stuff when you are doing like a you know a a print kind of thing. No one would even dive into this stuff.
0: Yeah, well, which is part of why you know I love having these chats is because it you know it gives people an honest look at what it's like you know not only for you guys but in general for a band um the realities are that not everything is smooth not everything is phenomenal after phenomenal there are ups and downs there's ebbs and flows um and it makes people appreciate things more um you know personally now um i already love everything but i'll go back with Uh, a more sense of appreciation on certain things you know shadows inside i remember when that got released and i think it's quite interesting that you said the second half of it kind of took off because i do think that album took a while for people to really give it a go i think that might have been why um because that album for me feels like it was the first album that you guys kind of did a mixture of everything there was albums that you were you know, giving things a little bit of a go and then didn't really work and then you'd change it up on the next album. Shadows Inside felt like you were starting to put everything together in a mixing pot and it was starting to work. Did that feel like it for you guys?
1: Yeah, I feel like the the few before that, you could identify what we were trying to go for in each song, like where the inspiration was coming from, but maybe we had trouble dialing in our version of it and another big reason I think that um, really came together on Shadows Inside and why I'm excited for the next one is same producer three times in a row now when we do the next one it'll be the third record in a row that Nick has recorded all the instruments and now we just we're dialed in with with the instrumental producer the day we get there we're already there and we really have—he's like the fifth instrumentalist of the band. Like we just identify with him, and he knows where we want to go, and we know where we want to go. And I think that was really helpful because if you think—if you think about it, every other time it was a different producer. So the first two weeks of every recording, you're still trying to get to know each other, and you only record for 30 days. So you know, it's good. I, I think that's why it's so—why you hear that crazy departure from—it's like at heart's different from Monument but Rise of the Lion's different from uh, At Heart. And Deathless is kind of similar to Monument because Joey did them both, but then we did Shadows Inside with somebody different, and it's a completely different sound.
0: Are you Are you guys fine? Same band. Same guys. Yeah, that's the thing. Nothing. Nothing's changed um, since, yeah. since uh, Monument.
1: That's what we say when people don't like songs. We're like, hey, it's the same people, man. We. Did, <laughs> we I don't know what you want.
0: <laughs> I think that's also something that's going to be interesting for you guys is that, you know, you, it is your music, right? It's your band. You can kind of creatively do what you want. Um, but that's going to be weird that you're, you know, in your own artist experience and then people are coming at you with uh, criticisms and uh, opinions that are sometimes not educated. And sometimes just hurtful for the sake of being hurtful. Um, what's that like as an artist to have some? You know, you put all your time and effort, money, passion into something, and not everyone's gonna like it. But people just tell you it's shit for the sake of telling you it's shit.
1: Oh, I'm so soft, man. That stuff hurts my feelings, so I don't read it.
0: <laughs> hey,
1: it really does. It really messes me up. I'm such a, I'm such a low self confidence guy. Like that is what the band is for me. Me in my regular life, so quiet, just, so you know, Love, love a big hoodie that hides me completely. Me with the band, I can't get enough time in front of everybody. I can't get enough mic time. I'm just, you know, it's a completely different person. But what's funny is that means the guy reading the comments is timid, like, am I doing a good job or not? I don't know. That's the guy that's reading the comments. And then somebody's just like, yeah, it's pretty shit compared to the one you made in 2010. Zero improvement. I'm like, oh, man. Damn.
2: <laughs> <laughs> like,
1: really? <laughs> that bad? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like, I thought I did a really good job, but I guess I'm a piece of shit. I don't know.
2: I don't know.
1: Yeah. I, I, I try really hard not to read that stuff. It's actually, I have a huge, I've had a real problem with, um, I've gotten more reclusive as I've got older. And my, throughout my career so far. Uh, camera facetime has become like a thousand times more important there was no video streaming when my career started like if you wanted to see the artist you had to go watch them in their element Mm. now you have to get good at streaming you have to get good on it on a camera with just yourself and that is so hard for me i don't know why um and that's a really interesting part uh for me about becoming friends with different artists especially ones that i've grown up with that have also because like i watch matt from trivium do his twitch streaming stuff and i'm like dude i don't have the balls to do any of this so it's it's weird there's all these different skill sets that are that are coming in now that like relate to your confidence and it's always been funny to me to like that i'm fine in front of like a thousand people on a stage but if i have to get on a webcam i feel like someone's sitting six inches from my face just like shit job buddy not very good. (laughs)
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> they're just constantly <laughs> looking at you going you fucking suck you fucking suck
1: yeah 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 that's what my brain's saying so that's why i think that when it, it might not be like that it might no. only be 50 percent of them that think that you know
0: Nah, i think it'd be it'd be point 0.1 it'd be fuck all people that say that man um but i understand i understand that um you need, i want to ask you know you mentioned about the new album this seems like the first time in a while that There's been more than a two-year gap between albums. Um, Is that intentional or is that by chance? Um, And where are you guys at with the writing process? Considering all the chaos that's going around, surely, maybe, um, it would speed up the process, maybe.
1: Yeah, we're booked in now. The the reason it took so long is twofold. We planned on taking a break just because we really needed to not go on tour. A lot of the guys were like, please take a minute. Um, So that was the plan. And then when Levi and Joe um, found out they were pregnant, we immediately adjusted the schedule again because we wanted him to have... We asked him how much time he thought he needed. He wanted like... I can't remember. I think he needed like three months after the baby before he wanted to have to leave. So we were like, cool, we literally will do nothing for three months after your due date, no matter what. And um, by that point, it was... I think that was like already January and we were like, let's just go ahead and start figuring out how to write a record. Um, I I was already booked to be on tour in April with Chelsea grin. So I knew that we couldn't go on tour then. Um, so we just started writing in the new year and we've been writing and we're booked for June. So we'll, um, we'll record the record in June. And I don't know what the release timeframe will be because like you said, with, with the, cl- the current climate, who knows, but we're going to record it in June as long as there's no travel bans. Cause, um, where, where we record is not in Ohio. So we'll have to, you know, we'll have to deal with that. But as long as there's not a, a quarantine by June, we should be able to record and everything should be, should be cool. And then, that, So do
0: you think with the way, you know, you're going to get hopefully Touchwood you know, you get to record when you set to record the way the climate is now, um, around the world. And, you know, I'm reading a lot of things that bands are postponing album releases, um, left, right, and center albums that are already scheduled to be released. Um, is what I'm talking about. Do you think we're going to start seeing people maybe adjust the way they think about releasing albums to now meet, maybe be solely digital?
1: Um, I think you're going to see people delay before you see people go fully digital. Not because of the physical aspect. It is still so important to promote your new product by touring. Um, So you got to think like if we, for example, were on tour with August Burns Red, let's just say we were on tour with August Burns Red who have, the perfect fan base base for us to play for. like Most likely fans for us to be able to find a common ground for them to also like our band. That's what we've, of all the bands we've supported in our career so far. So let's just say we get to go on tour with them right when we're about to drop our record. We're going to play for like a thousand people a night that definitely like metalcore. And we're going to be in front of them and they're going to see the band. It's going to be a moment. That is huge exposure. You will see massive. That's why everybody tried to drop their records on Warped Tour.
2: Because
1: mm. you play in front of 5,000 people every day. Plus, whatever you are going to promote with online, you were going to have that anyway, whether you were on tour or not. So the, I think that is why you would see the, the delays, because without the, the touring, it's a real crapshoot on if you would be able to deliver the same numbers. But at the same time, everyone sitting at home on the internet at the same time dying to consume content. So maybe I'm wrong. I mean, it may, maybe it'll be the opposite. Maybe people will be like, oh, we're about to take advantage of all these people needing something to listen to right now.
0: Well that's why I thought it was quite you know, I completely now when you say it, I completely understand the, you know, promotion element of it in a live setting or using live settings, but I thought it was interesting that bands have got albums to release in the coming months. Um, and, you know, a couple of them I know I've personally pre-ordered, and I'm getting constant emails saying, well, this is getting delayed, this is getting delayed. And I thought, like you said, wouldn't it just be good that you get it out there, even if you can't get me my physical, get it out there, because, as you said, people want to consume now because people are in lockdown. Give me the music, and I'll listen to it more than I probably would normally.
1: Yeah, I I don't know. I don't know. I For... Once, um, or for once, I feel like I'm just in a lucky position because I'm in the I'm in the writing section of it. So those discussions haven't even started. Um, so I actually don't I don't really know what that climate is like. There's really been no reason for me to bug anybody in the uh in my circles about that so i'm not really sure i know that i'd be i know that if i was about to drop my record i'd be stressed though cuz it's like you just want it to be smooth you just want to deliver something cool for everybody and like any bump in the road is so stressful and this is a huge bump yeah th- yeah, yeah it's an
0: understatement that it's a bump
1: it's a fucking
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah
0: it's off the yeah. fucking rails yeah. man. like jesus um yeah a couple of last things I want to talk about before we wrap things up. And one is going back to the new music stuff that's going on. Um, where, where is your head at going into the writing process for this album? Um, you know, as we've touched on with other albums, there were certain things going on. So where are you um, environmentally and emotionally going in for this album?
1: I it to be darker than I thought it was going to be. I thought, but I, I think um, the long break was harder on everybody than I thought because it—I I think it put everybody in a position to really look at what's important to them. Because all of a sudden, the thing that was taking up nine months of your time disappeared for a whole year. Mm. We the last show we played two shows in December, and the last time we played a show was in August. And I don't think we'll probably be able to tour till November at best. So I mean, you're looking at over a year in between tours, and I think that just is a moment that really made everybody get the chance to look at what we do and how special it actually is to everybody, and how it um, it's obvious that it could be taken away at any moment. Like anything could go wrong, and we could not be able to do this again. And it didn't feel like that when it was the only thing in our existence. So I think there's a lot more like stress and frustration during the writing than there, than there usually would be because it's such a, um, an alien way of life that's going on for us right now. It, um, it was a lot harder for me to adapt to not touring than I thought it would be, which is why I started touring with other people so quickly. Mm.
0: I'm excited to, uh, well, hopefully everything goes to schedule. I'm excited to um, hear and see um, this next chapter um, that will be on the way. I wanted to ask, how do you, um, how have you found the way to remain motivated um, to persist with what you're doing? Because as you mentioned along the way, you know, life comes and goes Um, Sometimes you got to take time off. So, you know, you're at times when you're reevaluating things. But how do you stay motivated to after, you know, over 10 years of doing it to keep doing it? Like what drives you to keep doing it? Because at this stage, so many years into it, you've surely ticked a lot of the boxes. But what
1: makes you keep going? Uh, It's still the – I still enjoy it more than anything else I do. I think that's what it comes down to. I still – I still like traveling. I still... The show is the best part. Um, and luckily, I still like all the work that goes along with making the show happen. I haven't fallen out of love with all the other stuff. I think that's what happens. I think... I don't think anybody ever stops loving playing for 30 minutes to an hour. It's it's the other stuff. It's the It's the difficult lifestyle. And I just... I haven't fallen out of love with it yet. So as long as I'm still... You know this dedicated to it and like it this much, then I'll just, you know, I will continue in some capacity as, as long as I have that. Yeah. Stay,
0: stay in it. Love it. Um, And yeah, you know, ignore the, ignore the the cunts on the internet. Just ignore them. them. Yeah. just (laughs)
1: That's the number one tip.
0: Yeah. Number one tip. Um, Last question before we start to wrap things up. Um, You know, we've spoken a little bit about the industry there with the current, uh landscape or the shitstorm as we might want to call it that's going on um but before all of this shitstorm was occurring for an artist like yourself that's been through the MySpace days you've seen the days where physicals were a big thing to now physicals not necessarily being a big thing for an artist where do you see the industry at the moment? Do you see it as um, all the power is in your hands or do you see things uh, just a bit more difficult for you to you know, do things your way?
1: Um, I think the format has just changed so much. I think um, it was really cool at the beginning. I remember getting emails every week where I knew if we hit this number of sales this week in like physical CDs, it meant we were at the same level as this band and the same level as this band. And and then what's crazy is the physical sales dropped so quickly and so suddenly. Um, I guess it wasn't really that sudden because you wait two years in between all the records, but you know, one record sells 10,000 first week. The next record sells like 5,000 first week, but only charts like three positions lower or something. Um, And I bet by the time, we drop the next one, people won't even talk about the physical sales. Mm. Um, On the money end, I honestly, it's never been any different. Um, We still make all the money from playing the shows for for all the fans, really, and selling the the merchandise. Um, The music is sort of the vessel to get there. Um, The music isn't really um, making us any less than it did before in... My experience so far, um, maybe that's just the way it's worked out for us. But, um, yeah, it's just a different way of looking at it. The metrics are just different. Instead of like, oh, this band did 30,000 copies first week, it's like, oh, my God, this band did 20 million streams the first week. So it's just, you know, different numbers.
0: Yeah, and I think it's, you know, the one advantage bands need to remember is nowadays your music uh, can get out to people easier. You know, it's a lot easier to get. Noticed. Yeah,
1: it's harder to break through to yeah. to get the attention. Everything's based. Everything's based on algorithms. And it's so hard to figure out what you need to do to to cut through. And there's so many more bands now because recording is so much easier. But you're right. I mean, the way I had to do it in the first two bands is I went and paid money to physically record a CD with a producer we got one master copy on a CD that I took home and I had to burn copies of it in my mom's house on a CD burner and then take them to shows and then try to convince people to buy them, which is nearly impossible. And then all of a sudden MySpace happened and it was like complete game changer, complete game changer for music.
0: Um, it is a whole different world. Like you said, um, Right, yeah, Ryan. We uh, are going to wrap things up with a segment called "Pick Your Poison." I'm going to pick that brain, going to find out what makes you tick, and we're going to just end on a light-hearted, kind of exciting, you know, section. Uh, everyone goes through this. Uh, some people find it easy. Some people find it hard. Um, your topics will be based around music, movies, and um, food, and we'll see how okay. you go. Now. Would you go pizza or burger?
1: Pizza. Oh, oh, that's a hard one. Well, I'd, I've been doing the vegetarian thing for a while, and so burgers are like, it's like, am I going to eat a black bean burger? Or am I going to eat a whole margarita pizza? Mm. Probably the pizza.
0: Okay, Chinese takeaway or Indian takeaway?
1: Uh, Indian takeaway.
0: Okay, smooth peanut butter or crunchy peanut butter? Crunchy. Uh, soft taco or hard taco? Uh,
1: I, I think the hard taco is more pleasing.
0: Risotto or pasta?
1: Pasta. I actually don't know if I've ever had risotto.
0: Hmm.
1: Is that weird? Is that a weird thing that I haven't had that?
0: Not really. It's just a over the top rice dish. Really? I'm sorry to anyone that likes risotto. I might've insulted a few people there. Um, Coffee or tea?
1: Oh, coffee. Big coffee guy. Okay. I do like tea, though. Coffee is number one, though.
0: Do you, do you like to cook at home, or would you rather dine out?
1: I am terrible at cooking. <laughs> terrible. <laughs> I desperately need a, um, a friend who can cook and will force me to learn, or a, a, or a girlfriend in the future that will force me to learn, because otherwise I'm going to keep making things in the microwave and I'm already 31, and at this point, I think I think it's I think it's a habit. I think it's a <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a way of life at this point.
0: <laughs> There's no turning back now. Um, yeah. You gonna go see a new movie? Do you want to see it at the cinema or on your couch at home?
1: Uh, yeah, I enjoy going to the cinema. That's that's a nice nice event. I like to I like to get out of the old house, if possible.
0: Uh, do you want to spend the day at the beach or the snow?
1: oh um i would skip both of those to be honest with you Mm. um i don't see any reason i would want to go play in the snow really and i probably wouldn't go to the to the beach either i will go outside like right now it's like 60 degrees and it was sunny today um it wasn't hot and it wasn't cold so that's fine for me i'm good with that
0: yeah well where what's the weather here today I think we're like 33 celsius so i don't know how hot that is in fahrenheit
1: i've been landlocked my whole life so water water is a bit intimidating to me i can swim and everything but the ocean is very intimidating to me um yeah I, i would need to live near it i think for me to get comfortable with that i remember last time i was in australia i was in perth We finished Soundwave and I went on the beach for like two hours and I looked like a lobster. I had to fly to China (laughs) and play the next day and (laughs) had sun poisoning. It just doesn't – I'm pretty pale. It doesn't work out for me very well.
0: Now, people look at you and they see that you're so red like a lobster and they go, yeah, you're not from Australia, are you? Yeah, Yeah,
1: it's so funny. Whenever we tour with the Australian guys, they're always so damn tall and usually way more athletic and way more tan.
0: Yeah, I don't know. It's something in the water, I think, down here. Yeah.
1: Me hanging out with is murder is hysterical. I'm like a good two feet shorter than all of them. I feel like it's hilarious.
0: They are, though. I mean, those boys are probably obscenely tall. Um, Yeah.
1: Yeah, I look hilarious standing next to them. I look like their nephew, just like (laughs) the young nephew that they're taking taking around with them for the day.
0: Have you met Ryan?
1: (laughs) (laughs) He's a nice young man.
0: (laughs) Um, would you? Are you a cat or a dog person?
1: Um, I like them both. I think my lifestyle is probably more suited for a cat, though. Okay, dog is really hard to take care of, man, and it requires you know they need you to take them out to poop and stuff, and a cat will just they'll handle it.
0: Yeah, cat. Yeah, but the only other problem is a cat will eat you if you die in your apartment.
1: I'll I'll be dead, so it doesn't matter. Anyway. <laughs>
0: That's fine. Do what you got to do. Yeah.
1: Um, at that point, why do I care?
0: Um, okay. A couple of movie ones Terminator or Predator? Predator. Okay. Um, Freddy or Jason?
1: Uh, Freddy. Okay. No, Jason.
0: Ooh. Jason.
1: Can I, I would say of the third, I would, is it always those two? Is Michael Myers ever in the same? Category?
0: Well the next one is Chainsaw Massacre or Halloween.
1: Oh, okay. Well then yeah, I would say not Freddy. I don't know why. I didn't I never really watched that. Um so definitely Jason. And then uh I would say Halloween. Okay. Um I like Check Texas Chainsaw Massacre as well though. And I like I like I like um Nightmare on Elm Street too, but I would say of the four, it's my least.
0: Yeah, probably Secret. the same for me. I think it's the weakest of the bunch. Still, food. I
1: loved Freddy vs Jason though.
0: I went to the cinemas so to see that.
1: Sick. Yeah. Me too. So sick.
0: It was classic and a great soundtrack.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Maybe that was the earliest metal I listened to.
0: Yeah, that that was. I remember it was just all full of, you know, new metal. Shadows fall, cool. maybe. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think. I know Mushroom Head was on there. El Nino. Yeah. Yeah, El Nino had yeah. the big single, I remember. Yeah. Um Yeah,
1: we and then we played with them in two thousand and fourteen on Mayhem and I was just like what the
0: fuck. <laughs> and they've all got dreadlocks too. Still, I think. Yeah, um, they're
1: so cool. They are so cool.
0: Um South Park or Simpsons. South Park. Okay. Now get into some music ones before we wrap up. Um Slayer or Pantera? Pantera uh rub zombie or marilyn manson
1: oh that's a good one uh i would say now zombie beginning of career zombie oh shit they've got their careers overlap because white zombie mm-hmm. i got favorites from above i can't do that one there, there. I've got records that I'm that are like in my top five by both of them, and I've got, and then they've both got the ones I don't like. It's a phase in each of their career. I don't care for two of my favorite all times:
0: Cannibal Corpse or Black Dahlia Murder.
1: Black Dahlia Murder,
0: Darkest Hour or God
1: forbid, Darkest Hour. Uh, and that's another one. Crazy one that I that I. Um, well, that was one of the first metalcore bands that I was told, like, this is how you play metalcore. And then we played with them, and they're so cool. And it's just another one of those weird uh, full circle kind of things. They are awesome. They're such a good band.
0: I have loved them since the moment I first heard of them um, on a compilation disc from Victory Records when they were signed. Yeah,
1: them. same. Everyone had those. They were so- victories compilation promo was on point
0: but i don't understand still to this day how long that band has been going that that band is not fucking massive
1: i don't i don't either and i've toured with them twice and two of my favorite all-time tours both times such an awesome band
0: oh incredible everyone listening if you haven't given darkest hour a spin you know just go in listen to undying ruin Thank me later. It's a... I
1: even loved. I even loved the one where um, John Henry started singing. Demons. Um, no, when he really sang, it was a couple of records ago.
0: Oh, um, um, is that the uh, the one that had the the star on it?
1: Yeah, um... they released that when we were on tour with them, and it was so cool because, like you were saying, I've been a fan of it. When is that? Two thousand four yeah undoing ruin i mean so i mean i'd been listening to him for 10 years at that point and he hadn't done that yet and then all of a sudden they released that and he's just like oh by the way i'm also awesome at this
0: i think that was the self-titled was it or was it something else hang on i'm gonna go get the cd hang on i've got the cd over there hang on yes it's the self-titled i've got it here um it's the one with wasteland the great oppressor Lost for
2: Life, yeah. so let's Wasteland
1: out. was awesome. They did this thing, guitar nerds who are listening will love this. We were playing on elevated festival stages, so they're like up off the ground, and they would put their guitar cabinets underneath the stage, facing backwards away from the stage, so there was no audio interference. Ooh. So you could go stand behind the stage and literally just chill by Lone Star or schleybaum's guitar cab and just like stand there and listen to him rip at full volume with, with no interference. Just like, yep, that's a good riff, good riff. (laughs) And I would do that. I would do that probably like at at least five minutes every day of their set, like find a second to go over and be like, yep, it's pretty awesome. Sounds great. Just like yesterday. Great job.
0: I love it. Um, Okay. Last couple. Um, Now this one is a bit weird because, you know, you guys are at a stay at a point in your career where I don't think you'd see a lot of it. But would you rather see stage dives happening when you're playing or mic grabs?
1: I'm not a fan of stage dives as I get older because I think they are dangerous. Dangerous because I am afraid of everything now. Um, and uh, this just happened. I just I had a I was singing Hollow King with fit for a king. Mm-hmm. on that tour that I was just out with Chelsea Grant. I'd run up there every day, sing this one part, get off the stage. Last day of tour, we knew tour was getting canceled. Pablo. Pablo's like my best friend. He's always cheering me on to do bad shit, as great friends do. <laughs> and he's like, you're going to stage dive. And I'm like, no, I don't want to. And eventually I did. But man, I was so afraid. I'm so afraid of it. And I used to do so much crazy stuff. Soundwave, I jump. I was like, I remember at Soundwave in 2012 or whatever, I, I was jumping off of the PA into the crowd and stuff. But anymore, I don't even want to. I don't even want to ride a bike. Like, I might fall <laughs> off of it. It hurts.
0: <laughs> there's the advertisement for everyone. Don't get old. You get afraid of bikes.
1: Yeah, and I'm only 31. It's going to get way worse.
0: <laughs> um, do you want to watch a show from the pit or by the sound desk?
1: I'm a sound desk guy. Like I said, I'm soft. I, uh, <laughs> I didn't want the, yeah. I, I went like, I don't want to be squashed. Uh, I did the pit. The last pit one I did was I saw I saw Sabbath in L.A. when we were recording the last record.
2: Ooh.
1: And I, I weaseled my way in there, and that was a cool pit because those are the expensive seats where mm-hmm. you know like nobody's touching you and you're up close because it was like a big amphitheater kind of thing. Um, I would. I would try to be in the soundboard if I could, if I could. Um,
0: second last. Now they go hand in hand, so you need one with the other. But would you rather tour for the rest of your life or record for the rest of your life?
1: Um, shit. I th- I really like touring. I really do, but it's probably bad for me to do for my entire life. So I should. I would say record. Gosh. Oh, that's so hard. I'm gonna to say tour. I'm gonna to stick. I'm gonna. Uh, I'm gonna stick with my. With my. Uh, my theme. I'm. I'll say tour. I guess. I'm knocking on wood though because I want to record a June and I feel like that is just asking for it. Well,
0: uh, um, I've touched wood as well. Now let's make sure that June goes ahead. Um, last one. I'm getting your all-time favorite album. Uh, do you want it on CD? Do you want it on vinyl? Or do you want it on your phone?
1: oh i wouldn't get it on a vinyl because i would never listen to it and i guess i'd need it on a phone because like you were saying earlier i don't know how long we're going to be able to even use the cd unfortunately finding the player is going to be difficult unless you own it here in five to ten years i'm sure
0: yeah, it's. I mean, you buy a laptop nowadays doesn't even have a CD drive in it. Like the one. Yeah, I, was, I
1: don't believe you. You got to try to get them if you want them in a car too.
0: Yeah, my, most new cars don't come with it. It's uh, it's quite yeah. crazy. Um, now, Ryan, we uh, went mega overtime, so I apologize, but it was I worth talk it. A lot, yeah. Hey, dude, it was worth it. Um, definitely worth it. Um, I really appreciate this. Um, this was fun. Um, I just can't say thank you enough. Like, thank you, man. Really? Like, dude.
1: Yeah, I appreciate it. It's always fun to talk about this stuff when I'm, you know, just talked about stuff that spanned like 15 years. That was cool. I don't, I don't think about this stuff a lot of time. It was great.
0: Too easy, brother. Um, thank you again. And, um, I'll be in touch.
1: Thank you so much. It was a pleasure.
0: So that was my chat with Ryan of Miss May I and at the end there you heard the band's track Relentless Chaos which is from the release called Monument. We heard the track Hey Mister which is from the band's album At Heart. And the last track you heard was Shadows Inside which is the title track of their most recent album. Now's the part of the show where I spark that bit inside you to get online and support the band that's been on the show so if you enjoyed that conversation if you enjoyed the music at the end there now's your chance get online delve into the discography stream it download it if you enjoy physical copies get onto ebay buy yourself a cd or a vinyl if you enjoy merch itself grab a t-shirt grab a hoodie grab a hat all of this stuff to support a band is very important And it's even more important in the current climate when bands are unable to tour. Now, the last thing I've got to do before I forget is thank Ryan again. Thank you so very, very, very much, dude, for taking time out for me and the Mosh Zone. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. Look forward to touching base with you when you get to Australia again soon. And that's it. That's the Mosh Zone episode 114 done, dusted, all wrapped up locked away for this week guys if you're a first-time listener thank you for tuning in i hope you come back over future weeks on future episodes if you're a regular listener thank you as always for tuning in and hope you come back in future weeks this time of the show is when i remind you that we need your help to get out to more listeners so If you've got a few moments this week and you enjoyed this episode, share it on your social medias. Also, tell everyone you know about The Mosh Zone. Help us out. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. Also, at this time of the show, I need to remind you that if you want to find Mosh News and Mosh Reviews, we have it all on our website and social medias. Our website is www.themoshzone.com. Our social medias are all at the Mosh Zone, and you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Also, don't forget, you can also get in touch through our email address, which is TheMoshZone at gmail.com. Get in touch, guys. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. There's not much else to talk about. That is all of my rambling done. Thank you for tuning in. Have a great week. Stay safe. Open the pit.